0: Thank you for joining this morning. I'm really excited to have um, Stephen on. Stephen, if you wouldn't mind giving a quick intro about who you are and how people reach out to you, um, and then we'll share again later on at the end. But yeah, who are you and what do you do? How's sure. your
1: business? Yes, so I'm Stephen Fance, I'm the CEO and Chief Technology Officer of Cultivate Hemp Solutions. And with Cultivate, we are a renewable hemp diesel uh, company in which we are a developer of renewable electricity and uh, renewable fuels. And so we partner with farmers uh, across the country, in which uh, we enter into fuel supply agreements and virtual power purchase agreements, which I can discuss a little bit later. And um, with hemp, you know, since it has over fifty thousand use cases, uh, we use the whole plant. And So that's hey. Cultivate.
0: Okay, Tell me what, um, I'm going to dive right into this because what, what does it mean? What's this power purchase agreements or what does this look like? And what does that mean to farmers or to the hemp industry? Yes.
1: Yeah, so what a, it looks like. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. So a power purchase agreement is a financial tool or contract essentially that says that we as Cultivate will generate electricity Uh, for large customers such as a corporation like Google or Apple, um, data centers, universities um, and municipalities. Uh, We're doing government contracts as well. Uh, And we essentially will, uh, with our solar and wind turbine uh, projects, uh, we're able to push uh, clean green energy onto the grid. And by doing so, we do it ideally in a region where a corporation is located And by doing so, um, we essentially pay that corporation every month after they sign an agreement with us um, and give them a renewable energy credit. So it allows them to reduce their emissions to zero.
0: Okay, so how does that hemp,
1: how does this go back straight to hemp? Yes, so with those agreements, we bundle it with our renewable diesel. So we sell renewable electricity and renewable diesel. Um, So let's say for example, if you're a data center uh, you are running, uh, let's say, solar and wind during the, the daytime, but when the sun sets, there's no sun. And when the wind is not blowing, there's no uh, turbine generating that electricity. So with our renewable diesel, uh, we power your backup generators uh, with the diesel so that you're running 24-7 renewable energy. Okay. Okay. So tell
0: me kind of what this hemp process looks like for renewable energy. Or- biofuels,
1: right, for diesel. Yep, so essentially, um, you know, since hemp has over 50,000 use cases, um, we use the whole plant. And the process with us is we sign up a farmer or a co-op essentially, and we uh, make sure that the seed arrives at the co-op. The co-op disperses it to the farmers and the farmers plant for us. Um, And we focus on uh, fiber and grain And with those plants, uh, we grow the, let's say for example, we have a uh, virtual power purchase agreement, which has the electricity and the fuel. Uh, And so with that agreement uh, we have with the farmers, we give them 10% of the profits of that agreement. And uh, they grow the hemp, we come and harvest it. And with fuel, uh, with diesel, essentially uh, we press the seed. Uh, Each seed has roughly about 40% oil. And the oil, we process it um, into our renewable diesel, and uh, the waste product. So let's say the the shell of the seed, uh, we can able to turn into protein powder um, and other foods. Which you know these things are sold already in Whole Foods and other grocery stores. Mm-hmm. Um, you can also with the stalk, we use it to uh, u- utilize into quarter caterers within our own supply chain. Uh, we strip the stalk and the fiber. Uh, we use it for our uh, hemp textiles and we make shirts and masks. Uh, we've been making since like March and also with uh, bioplastics. So, by having these waste products, we sell it at wholesale prices to uh, large entities who will buy it in bulk. So, okay. So,
0: I just learned something that the biofuel is coming from the oil and the seed.
1: Yep the the diesel and the uh the other biomass part of the plant can be used for ethanol, bioethanol.
0: Okay. Okay. So we talk about big markets. What's being missed? How come there's this gap and why isn't everybody doing this?
1: Well the main reason why uh no one is doing this is because you know have essentially have come up with the ability to look at different <laughs> markets that um are profitable for one mm-hmm. uh, so we found that fuel isn't as uh, profitable essentially that's why we have to use bioplastics uh, we we found that you know you look in a home everything is made out of some type of plastic um and when you think about it you're like wow you know at least 75 80 percent of things around us that we use every day And so we looked at different products that had great margins uh, that we can sell in bulk and wholesale that has a market now. Mm -hmm. And by building the infrastructure for years, we've been meeting with farmers and working with farmers to get the the process down, to get the the business model uh, down. Um, Many farmers have been, unfortunately, mistreated um, over the years by the big ag uh, corporations. And so... We came up with this model that is farmer friendly, but also uh, makes sustainability affordable for everyone. So that goes and, and affordable. It, it,
0: it's you know, this is a conversation that I had recently that you know previously before hemp, sustainability has not been profitable or affordable, right? It's now on the investment side and consumer side affordable and profitable for businesses. Absolutely, that hemp, hemp provides a a new turn, right? So, are you processing um, a three like a fiber seed and uh like how how are you processing your crop for your textile industry? Are you harvesting? Is it a different crop that's coming in, or are you doing the same crop for all of those verticals? And
1: yeah, I'm curious yes we use a hybrid crop so um our crops have both you know long tall stalks um, for the textiles and the bioplastics and they have seed as well
0: okay so tell me about your um textile because i my understanding or the different grades because this is something where i think the industry the conversation isn't had a lot or there's not a lot of conversation being had around this is Um, the quality of fiber that's being produced and where that different fiber is going, right? If a Mm -hmm. farmer, say, goes out and grows a field of hemp and then where does that hemp go? What's that end use for? You know, if I have a dream of selling into the textile industry, what type of fiber am I growing for? Mm -hmm. What type of, um, you know, how clean does my um, herd need to be or my fiber need to be for different types of products being made, whether it's, plastics or biofuels or any, right, whatever it is, construction. Can you speak to
1: that a little bit? Yes. Yeah, so the great thing about working with us is uh, we have very specific protocols that the farmers uh, follow. You know, they utilize our technology um, with our software. We essentially uh, collect data um, based upon the, uh, the type of soil that farmer has. Uh, we have them do soil tests and uh, based upon their location, you know how much sunlight is coming in, how much humidity is in the air, um, which humidity has been a uh, seems like a key a key, in, a key um, reason as to why a lot of uh, farms have or harvests have been going hot. I guess with high in uh, THC, unfortunately, uh, but we've heard of. But our software essentially tracks all of those different uh, parameters, mm-hmm. and. What we do is uh, by making sure that all the farmers are on the same page with protocol and the types of seed that is uh, just for the soil. And based upon our um, products, the purchase agreements uh, of the product that is being sold, whether we're growing the the crop specifically for uh, fuel or we're growing it for uh, bioplastic or textiles, uh, we track and have a, a visual of everything. Uh, to make sure that h- highest quality control is met. So,
0: Now, what about, what I'm curious is on the buyer side, standard of how clean, like, what's the difference in these, you know, the types of fiber that are being produced or the types of products that are being produced? When we talk about the processing piece, you know, a lot of people think extraction. What about the decorticating mm-hmm. the versus the, secondary processing, or how does that
1: processing piece look in, in your- yeah. uh, So Yes. Yeah, so essentially, uh, decorticators are incredibly um, important in our process, um, and that's how we're able to, you know, split the plant in uh, different pieces so that we can utilize them. Um, mm-hmm. so once we do um, decorticate uh, the plant, um, the fiber we process into textiles and so in that process we've actually been meeting with a number of um, really great companies uh what we found from a global perspective you know canada has really been known for food side um have been specializing in we found that actually in like india and nepal they have honestly been pretty um, fast forward in, um, in terms of utilizing hemp textiles you know they really mastered like codonized hemp um, making it mimic wool, um, different types, even cashmere. Um, so I would say that it, it's more so on the processing side, I would say, um, that, would say, uh, that dictates the quality of him, of him or the end product. product. And, um, and what we found is by working with, um, honestly, masters that are, have been in the textile industry, for example, uh, we're working with a company out of uh, New Jersey, who know fabric, you know, who have, have educated us about uh, the different, uh, how the textile industry works and machinery and how to source suppliers and and um, and even working and talking with the mills, you know, they, you know, a lot of these are multi-generationally owned um, within the textile supply chain. And they will tell you how they actually have like old uh, military uh, uniforms that was made out of hemp back from um, in early 1900s. So, um, you know, really the process is that we are looking into the traditional textile industry and reverse engineering them so that hemp text- textiles and other products can be uh, mastered or produced. So.
0: so where would you say you're at in this process for the textile industry compared to some of these other industries, right? Because I would say, like, what I see is production of end user products in the United States is much more dominant in the construction vertical, per se, than the textile vertical. Um, it's just, there's different regulations or stipulations still. What, what's your opinion?
1: Yeah, so with us, we're actually making uh, products out of hemp uh, textiles today. Um, we're actually making uh, hemp masks Um, and also shirts so we're a little bit more advanced on the textile side of things and we started by um, receiving first fabric uh, hemp fabrics from different suppliers around the world and now we're going in reverse by building our own processing plants here in u.s um, our own mills and and really having a complete vertically integrated supply chain Um, and where
0: where are your mills where are you at
1: yes so um for our logistics side we have warehouses that we are we enter into basically um like large warehouse distribution facilities across the country um, mostly off of uh, freeways like i-10 and i-20 um, um big logistics we're in atlanta so it's a big logistics hub here um there is a mill that we're looking into acquiring out of louisiana um that has the adequate amount of water and also um, just the Gulf of Mexico has the infrastructure. Um, and because also we are acquiring a lot of refineries around the, the Gulf of Mexico, uh, because the, the oil and gas infrastructure is mostly around that area, um, it made sense uh, because that's where the water is also.
0: Okay. So are you looking then, you're looking to purchase mills and right now you're, are you I'm spinning on, that. what's your volume look like? You're spinning, be gumming, the whole process?
1: Yeah, so as of right now, we're outsourcing the, the hemp fabric um, from, different, okay. Yeah, okay. from different places. Uh, so we're okay. not making the, the actual fabric here in the US okay. right now. So okay. we're only, we only have the sewing operations going.
0: Okay, that's still part, you know, that's, I've said for a long time as I started this organization, um, We need the global support to bring to rise all tides, right? We we really have to be able to change our supply chain and bring it within each within our borders, you know, and everybody within their borders, manufacturing, processing, everything within to compete. However, I think that until we can, we have to have we have to have support. And I would agree with you. I've heard India is doing a very good job.
1: Oh no, absolutely. (laughs) And, and it's more so, um, you know, when we speak to different companies, um, really also in the US, we've had to, we've learned also being in supply chain logistics for years, is that to truly um, supply for large clients, I mean, like the, the largest of the, the Fortune 500 companies, you have to have a guaranteed supply chain. You have to have multiple suppliers, you have to have redundancy. Um, and so what we found in to truly tackle sustainability is finding the creating the demand first and then working our way back into the supply. And so by having the farmers um, available to grow here in the States, educating them um, about the, the products and our business model, essentially, and kind of working on both ends of the supply chain. And eventually by the time we get to the middle, we'll have um, the full mills and logistics all here in the state. So we don't have to depend on any other stuff. So. Okay, so
0: tell me about your um, decortication process. You have a facility right now decorticating or on the mills, on the actual hemp right now?
1: No, we have uh, partners that decorticate um, on, our, okay. on our farmers' behalf.
0: Okay. Can you tell me a little bit about the type of product that you're seeing or the difference in products? I think it's important. What I'm seeing a lot of is the need for consistency is not being met, you know, especially on large scale for textiles. What's your opinion and differences in the types of product you're seeing, maybe in the different ways they're being processed or are all of your connections decorticating the same way or processing the same way?
1: Yeah, I would say that the the decorticating process in and of itself is on the textile side is key. However, when it comes to clothing, um, it's really about how it feels on your skin, how the um, um, even the, the stitching, you know, when you when we started uh, making masks, um, the stitching, a lot of the customers paid attention to stitching more than a lot of things. They'll feel, they'll look at how it feels on the skin, but you know, they look at it like it's a luxury dress shirt, um, and so. But I would say honestly, it's more so more so on the machinery, the processing. Um, but you know, as mentioned, you know, the United States we have a, a long way to go when it comes to actually getting the to actually fabric side. But it, I think it will. Uh, we've been working with some great farmers um, out of Texas that have the the operations and logistics to actually make this happen. So
0: what my understanding and i'm not i'm not an expert by any means but um that there is um uh, in other countries there are certain chemicals that are allowed to be used to cottonize the fiber that may not be able to be used here in the united states
1: sorry i'll let you
0: go i'll let you talk
1: <laughs> yeah i'm sorry My i had to get the charger because my uh I think it's about to die. So. <laughs> you, true. Please, it's true. Yeah, okay. I was like, oh, I say to three percent I was like, let me uh, get this for ends. Can you please usually, repeat the
0: question? Of course. Usually mine is I'm yelling at my kids or my dog. So you're yeah. right? <laughs> Um, I was wondering in other countries, my understanding is that there are certain chemicals that are being used to cottonize fiber that make it, you know, that give it that comfort factor that aren't able to be used in the United States. Are you aware? Or can you speak to that at all? Like, maybe the processes that are used in other countries that aren't being used here, or why?
1: Um, not necessarily. I think that the processes are pretty much the same, they're just, um, I'll just speak to really textiles as in globally. Um, really, China and India are the you know just the largest when it comes to textile manufacturing. Um, you know, most brands that we buy uh, here in the states the brand we're very familiar with, but the factories are outside of the United States. Um, and that happened for a number of reasons. Uh, and so as a result, many on the, on the, uh, closer on the manufacturing side of things of actually making the fabric, not the sewing side, but the actually fabric, um, the, the market for the most experienced of manufacturers are just outside the U S, um, but the goal is to bring back manufacturing jobs to the U.S. That is our main goal.
0: Yeah, I I support that hundred percent. I love the mission. I think it's necessary. And I think that this pandemic exposed how necessary that is, how important it is for us, right? Absolutely. Um, What drove your passion to the textiles vertical? why, Why was that your focus? What really brought the most interest there?
1: Um. Yes. Yeah, so on the textile side of things, you know, I'm I'm very big on uh, brand identity. Um. Sorry, the, the train is a background. You're good. <laughs> but, it's okay. Yeah, but uh, but with brand nice. identity, You know, I'm. I've always been big um, on fashion, just in, as a, as a person. Um. But you know, I really see that. You know, what we wear on our clothes is how we can really. Um, identify with ourselves, how we communicate with the world. And, you know, the biggest problem, one of the biggest problems in sustainability and climate change is uh, fast fashion. You know, the idea of getting, having honestly cheap in cost and wearing, you know, multiple outfits in a day type thing. Um, and so when I saw that, how, how many garments we are throwing away every day that we thought like the the t-shirt we wore on a field trip back back in we were nine years old is still somewhere in a you know in a field somewhere and so that really um hit home because you know i i have to take responsibility myself as well be accountable that i've contributed to that and so but i made the decision that what i can do is as a mathematician my background you know i can i'm a problem solver um, and so I saw that hemp was an excellent solution for it, and that the waste product from, let's say, making clothing, we can solve for bioplastics and fuel and whatnot. So this felt like a, it was a good, and also the margins are good too. So it just made sense. Right.
0: Well, and it's making a huge impact. You know, what somebody asked me that was my age said, "Why should I care? Like, why why should this impact me?" why should it matter? I can buy the same t-shirt for a dollar somewhere else. And I said, you know, getting into hemp, what opened up um, my aha moment was realizing how tightly tied human trafficking or human rights is to the manufacturing of fast fashion. So that for me was like hemp has exposed these verticals or these um, pain points that I had no idea existed. I shouldn't say did, I didn't exist. They didn't, they, I didn't realize them yet. Right. They, they didn't, it wasn't my why. It didn't hit my why. So I'm always curious, like, why, why'd you get after this? And and why do you see hemp as a solution? And it's fascinating to me, people. No, absolutely. It's interesting.
1: absolutely.
0: So where do you see the company headed?
1: Where are you, where are you guys going in the future? And, Um, I really see um, the the energy space is incredibly um, fascinating because, you know, on our journey, I've learned that, you know, half the world doesn't have electricity. And the biggest contributor to climate change is how we utilize energy, where we get our energy from. Um, You know, we are, you know, we've been taught that oil is, is king when it comes to making products, you know, Um, Plastics come from oil um, as well as fuel. You know, a lot of things. Yeah. So, um, you know, what I found, though, is that it's a huge opportunity that many uh, countries, cities, uh, corporations are looking for renewable energy. And um, when I say looking for it, market-wise, it's a multi-trillion dollar market right now. Um, And... You know not getting into politics but like the new green green new deal that um uh, uh, biden and kamala have are bringing in is worth trillions of dollars and that goes directly to the farmers uh there's a lot of uh, bills that are being passed right now um that is going towards like carbon uh storage or carbon sequestration mm-hmm. uh, and hemp is uh, the ideal plant because for every a ton that's grown, it absorbs 1.25 tons of carbon dioxide and the government knows that. And so we found a number of grants that are um, open right now um, and also innovations that surround uh, industrial hemp being used, so it's the perfect time. Um,
0: AC had a really good comment and question uh cotton decomposes faster though creating lifelong clothes may be the only way do you think that humans can understand concept of long wear clothes and honestly i want to i want to say because i'm not i don't know what i meant to say this earlier i wanted to mention it earlier like it was also very eye-opening to me how many of our clothes are actually made with plastic yes that the Decomposing clothes, or is if you have a hundred percent, you know, cotton maybe with no dye, but as soon as we're adding dye and color, it changes what it's able to do and how many plastic coatings we spray on our shirts or um, how much we mix with it, right? And so, yeah. So back to AC's question. Sorry.
1: <laughs> no, absolutely. Um, so I would say that uh, you know, creating lifelong clothing. I honestly don't think that is the only way, you know, I think that we have honestly, we have the innovations available, available today to where we can have and still have fast fashion, but all of our clothing is sustainable and can be recycled um, back into our circular economy. So I don't think we have to put ourselves in a box to do so. I, okay, so
0: I've got a question because this is something else that's been exposed for me is like the greenwashing that's going on, right? And what is really recyclable, recyclable, and that this is an entire new piece that that is much larger than I ever anticipated when it comes to the greenwash, right? The fact that we can label a bottle as hemp plastic and it only contains 25 or 30% hemp plastic I think it's so misleading, right? If I buy a cotton shirt and understand that cotton, you know, biodegrades faster than anything else, then my assumption is that my shirt's going to be recycled. Where I've been lied to is this process of when, when it's mixed or what my, assumption, what's actually in the shirt, right? The, that recycling piece. So yeah. What do you, what are your thoughts there? So that's a big
1: No, absolutely. Um, And and so uh, the solution is that, yes, we have been lied to Um, less than 10 percent of our products have been recycled ever. And so 90 percent of it is going to a waste field or I know um, in in the U.S. we used to ship a lot of it uh, to other countries, unfortunately. Um, And so the truth is, is that because we've been lied to, uh, we've been sweeping under the rug the problem uh, of our recycling. And so one of the solutions that Cultivate is working on is also waste management. And so by, and because we are working with the largest companies in the world, the Fortune 500, um, they are the biggest you know, emitters of carbon dioxide and other greenhouse gas um, and plastic products. Um, and so by building the, the infrastructure, uh, we're able to solve their problems today and by going directly to the largest, um, our theory is that it will trickle down to the rest of the supply chain. And by providing them the sustainable products and the waste management um, is, in our opinion, the best way to actually uh, approach a problem, so.
0: Well, and especially, I've said this also, I, you're, I feel like you're speaking my language. <laughs> <laughs> I. Um, you know, I, I've been asked a number of times, how do you plan to bridge this gap to bring these big businesses into these small or into this industry, right? How do we how do we bridge this gap? These Fortune 500 companies that have been unable to access hemp or use hemp for various reasons, and now we have this emerging market that has a lot of we need a lot of work, right? Mm-hmm. And getting these big businesses behind the industry to say we're here to stand behind it because we believe in it. Right. And bringing this big money in. What are some of those companies that you say, you say these big companies names or not, what are they specifically doing in the industry? What are, what are their, what's their opinion of the hemp industry and how come we don't see more big businesses
1: on, on, on our side, on this movement? Yes. I would say, honestly, education. Um, Many companies, you know, unfortunately, because of politics of the plant being illegal, you know, we've been brainwashed into believing that um, hemp marijuana is bad. And truth is, is, it's an amazing plant. Um, And The only way forward in which we've had success is, you know, we've been lecturing at different universities. We've been holding webinars recently, like on LinkedIn and educating uh, companies, the decision makers on how hemp can not only make their company sustainable, but can save them, save them money on their bottom line. Um, and what does that look like what are some of those companies asking what are questions
0: that they have where are their reservations what's their i mean what, what I know about hemp and obviously what I'm doing is out loud and proud saying hey everybody should be using hemp for everything right mm-hmm. what's i mean why aren't they what are their reservations
1: um honestly they um many corporations I found you know my background I've As a systems architect, I've I've done consulting work for a number of Fortune 500 companies. And what I found is that they're so big that they've made so many acquisitions over the years um, that a lot of their systems are duct taped. And when you have a a large corporation that's moving and, you know, you can only make big decisions when your board of directors meet, you know, uh, three times a year, uh, you know, and climate change has also been, I've swept under the rug for so much, so long that you know it's kind of like a, uh, it's kind of like you've been pushing back a chore for so long, and now it's it's here. You can't you can't um, hide from it, and so the only way forward is to truly invest in a, a generation that is educated on sustainability. Mm-hmm. You know, it's been taught more so in the last ten to fifteen years in schools about sustainability. Uh, more than it has in the last 30 or 40 years. And so uh, the tides are changing. And so investment and innovation is key. Well,
0: I think giving it to our kids, it's gonna change the world. They're gonna do wonderful things with it, right? They're the most impacted by everything that the older generations have done with the fossil fuels and plastics and pollutions. And uh, David brought up, again, the hemp refine need for hemp refineries that can utilize the biomass from the plants, seed extraction, uh, CBD extract, seed, flower, fiber, all of it, right? And that's what we were talking about in the beginning: is having a, a whole processing or a whole plant processing facility,
1: right? Yep, absolutely.
0: Um, so where do you see where do you see the biggest need for government coming in? Um, What do they need that we can really step in and support and help?
1: Yes, so honestly, I would say from government side of things, uh, getting passing uh, legislation so that banking, um, so that hemp farmers and uh, suppliers, everyone in the supply chain can open up uh, bank accounts. Uh, That is a huge obstacle, um, which we found ourselves. And so we've had to you know, actually find um, you know certain financial relationships to make that happen, and so um, banks are coming along, and it's more so you have to build those relationships. But I would honestly say that um, if government can get that passed along, and hopefully the new um, the new um, you know White House um, leadership that's coming in can help be a catalyst for that. But I think that as high as priority, and then. Also to insurance companies as well, um, insurance companies are charging uh, hemp companies um, up to like three times more than regular policies uh, for businesses. And, um, I think we start there That'll that'll do a, a huge, huge, uh, justice to us. So.
0: Okay. So uh, I, a couple of things AC said real quick. Unless we repurpose ag farms, do you feel that hemp is sustainable if big businesses just build more farms from scratch? I am going to say no. I think that this this is a this is an opportunity, or I'd like to hope that this is an opportunity for our farms to take advantage of a new crop that is more profitable and get them off of government so much government assistance um, with a regenerative crop, a crop that they can rotate and use on a regular basis. What's your
1: opinion? No, absolutely. Um, We don't have to have farmers make a choice between one crop or another. It's an excellent rotation crop. Um, You know, what we found with farmers who use it as a rotation crop is, uh, because hemp cleans the soil, it actually made the other crops uh, increase in yield. So we can use both.
0: I agree. I just don't think, as far as sustainability, I mean, there's a like she said, there's a lot of people coming in and you know building new farms. I think where you know we when I asked earlier, kind of like, what does the government need from us, and what do farmers? I think that there's a gap in education, or I feel this heavy weight to educate or help educate farmers in some of the opportunity, and I think it's not. It's even not so much education yet, as it is, we have to have a place for them to sell and bring their harvest to, right? Where are they going to bring their hemp if we don't have the processing facilities in volume, you know? And then that goes back to them understanding what kind of crop they're growing and what are they growing for on a big scale? And CBD is an edible and different standards than textiles. And it's, I agree on end product. It's amazing to me, AC, how many people are or how many states or uh, elected officials that are writing the laws um are still having for example people test the thc level of a hempcrete block or of a, a roofing tile you know forgetting it's almost like saying that they're concerned that the consumer is going to smoke their roofing tile and so i think that there is a breakdown in education to what is that hemp grown for and how is it being regulated in different states because it's being sold into market available to everybody but trying to be regulated on the right and Mm -hmm. so yeah i'm curious
1: yeah so um yeah honestly it's you know again going back to you know, education is it's really educating everyone um, in the supply chain. Um, excuse, and, the, and also with customers um, going from the, the large corporations and then even to, um, you know, as mentioned, a lot of the government agencies are opening up to utilizing hemp for on the fabric side, textile side, and even um, for uh, carbon storage and whatnot. And so as we educate more, um, utilizing social media, is um, really good. LinkedIn has been really excellent with um, allowing Kemp to be uh, broadcasted and not so much some of the other social media platforms, but um, as the more we talk about it, the more we normalize it, um, we've seen a lot of progress, honestly, over the last few years. Oh yeah,
0: absolutely. And and I think it still continues. When do you think, what's your projection for when it will be a mainstream product? And I don't know, how many years?
1: I would say mainstream, uh, I would say on the plastic side, I think it can be maybe in the next two to three years. And then on the fuel side, we're pushing. Um, Our goal is to, honestly, I would say our goal is to get fuel on the the diesel side to where at least 25% of the market can have hemp, diesel, in the next 5 years that is our goal. Okay. So yeah.
0: Impressive. Impressive. I had a question for you earlier and of course
1: I forgot.
0: Um, how do people reach out to you if they if they want to get in touch with you? What how do
1: people reach out? Where do they find you? Yes, uh, you can go to our website at cultivatehs.com That's c u l t i v the number 8 hs.com. Um, you can also reach out to us on social media at Cultivate HS. I'm going to put this on
0: here
1: for
0: you. Cool, oh, oh, cool. So what else, who else do you see in the, that's really doing it right? Who else, who else do you know as far as context in the industry? A lot of what I hear is there's, well, I'll just say, the very first cannabis event I ever attended, I asked somebody, um, what's the first piece of advice you have for me? And he said, don't trust anybody. And everybody thinks that they're the best.
1: <laughs>
0: okay. So I went into this with it, you know, at Brain of Fault. And I learned really fast that it's at no fault or sometimes not at their fault. There really hasn't been an opportunity for other people to um, log in and find out who who's their competitors Right? With some of these restrictions around marketing and ads and banking, it's kept people from being out in public a lot of times, right? Mm-hmm. So where do you, who have you met that's really you know, taken the
1: lead and, and you know, taken a uh, charge at this game? Yes, I would say um, companies wise, um, a, number, a number of ones that we've been seeing really on the innovation side, um, one is hempwood.com. Mm-hmm. They make um, any like uh, hemp hardwood and um, particle boards. Um, also, a company Zero Gravity we're working with. They're kind of uh, kind of like a fertilizer company in which they um, help. Been working with farmers to increase the yield of uh, hemp. Um, they doing some really great things. Um, things, a couple other ones. Um, I do like the company that made. Um, there are some folks that made some hemp plastic, I um, can't remember on the top of my head, but there are a lot of great companies I've, I've seen um, oh H- uh, HPS um, they are a, a hemp culti- uh, seed cultivar um, mm-hmm. out of Canada I um, think there's some really great, great companies out of I uh, don't think geez I have a list of companies, but uh I I say, I'm just
0: okay, what about companies that are servicing the industry, right? Um, what I have found is there's been a lot of big sustainable companies like Lego, for example, example, mm-hmm. that they're coming out and saying, hey, we're gonna start you we're we're concerned about sustainability and we're gonna start paying attention to having using hemp hemp plastics, right? Um who else who else do you see that's coming into this industry that's really leading the
1: charge uh yeah levi has been in the industry for quite some time with their jeans um so levi i see nike um
0: mm-hmm.
1: uh, what's the company <laughs> patagonia i believe that's the yep. name um, yeah lego I, I, I did hear some things about them utilizing possibly hemp plastic um as you mentioned and there are some companies i'm hearing that are looking um, into hemp uh, batteries, hemp capacitors uh, that, you know, have been echoes or rumors more so, but we'll see. Um, but those are some of the companies the top of my head. I think Converse possibly, they'll quote me on that. Mm.
0: Uh,
1: but yeah. I think the textile and fashion
0: industry, I mean, we're paying attention, right? The manufacturing, uh, the, the amount of imported textiles is real for the U.S. And I think that there's a lot of uh, big companies, like you said, that are paying attention to the sustainability of the workforce that's involved in the production um a c asked another really good question, and this is something that I've been wanting to talk about for a long time is the toxins in the biomass after it's you know when it's grown next to a field that obviously is radioactive or next to an oil refinery and the the soil has toxins in it. Because the soil remediates, or because the uh, plant remediates the soil, what happens to those those toxins, and have we found the method to completely, to you know, remediate biomass in excess to complete safety?
1: Yes, so, you know, we haven't done any uh, remediation projects as of today. Um, so I don't have, you know, the exact uh, scientific data on how much toxins are left in uh, into hemp, but from my understanding is that um, because you are utilizing utilizing a circular economy, um, you're either able to uh, either burn those toxins or the plant is able to utilize it for energy. So. Um, I would say that you know I definitely wouldn't grow hemp on you know a radioactive field and then try to sell hemp seeds with it. I mean I wouldn't do anything like that. So, uh, but yeah, I'm not. Well, right. I'm just curious because, like you said, once
0: that's soaked up, like it's still there. It's not like it goes away, right? And so being able to, I mean that's that piece of education that is missed, right? We're very pro and there's all these benefits, but understanding that with those benefits comfortable awareness. And I think that goes back to the CBD market also in understanding that when I'm growing a plant on you know, raw soil, what, what's in there? And if unless I'm testing for metals and pesticides and whatever may be in that dirt, um, it's now in whatever formula I'm consuming potentially. And so um, same thing back to using it on an industrial scale for remediation.
1: Yes, absolutely. Um, I would say that one use case can be, um, you know, using it as a bioplastic or um, using it in the construction in- industry, um, you know, hemp hempcrete uh, or hemp walls, um, you know, since hemp does absorb uh, carbon dioxide, that probably might be the best use case for it um, if you're going to use it in remediation. Top of my head so
0: when we talk about carbon footprint can you speak to the carbon footprint a little bit that hemp has like the benefit that 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 hemp has right for,
1: for carbon yes so for every ton of hemp that's grown it absorbs uh, you know 1.25 uh, tons of carbon dioxide and so as a, as uh, as a result uh, it absorbs and as can be seen as negative carbon uh, utilization so um, it reduces carbon footprints
0: okay and then are you involved in the transaction or the sale i guess of those
1: through the your
0: program the transaction of of what i'm sorry a carbon footprint like to sell your carbon credits
1: uh yes so for the renewable electricity for our projects uh yes uh, we will provide that for our customers who sign the power purchase agreements renewable energy okay. credits. And about what is that
0: credit per acre? I mean, on average, what does that look, what's, what does that even look like? You know, as farmers are interested and hear that the value and that there is carbon credit involved with
1: growing hemp, what does that typically look like? Yes, I believe, um, and I have to double check, uh, I don't have the top of my head, but I believe that there there's multiple programs, of uh, credits for um, growing any type of plant or crop that absorb uh, carbon dioxide, but well, I believe that most recently I've heard is about twenty dollars per ton, and um, for every acre grows about ten uh, tons per acre, so roughly about two hundred dollars
0: per acre.
1: Per acre. Dang. And those are those are credits that I that we've seen, but uh, I think that even in the coming year or two, that even more credits are going to be available, um, but we'll have to get legal involved to really put all that type of information together.
0: Sure. Yeah. I'd be really interested in what that looks like and um, as a benefit to our farmers. Now, if somebody wants to participate in in a program like that, how do they get involved with selling carbon credits? And do they, I mean, can they go, if, if I have a farm and I'm not growing your seed, can I sell through your platform or are there other platforms to, to broker carbon credits?
1: Uh, yeah, there are um, other platforms. However, you know, we suggest you work with us um, of course. Yeah. And, um, and we'll, we have the legal team and the um, the financial team to walk you through that process. Awesome.
0: Okay. And that's so, so as an outside farmer that has, is growing my own seed, I can still partake in that.
1: Partake in the credits.
0: Yeah. In that program to sell on the energy side.
1: Um, No, we, if working with us, uh, we will supply you the seed. Um, But if you supply your own seed, uh, you'll have to take your own pathway for your credit. Okay, that's what I was curious.
0: Okay, so then how many acres are you looking to grow for production? How how many partners could say, hey, I want to take your seed, and what's the cost, I guess, to get involved?
1: Yeah, for our co-op farmer program, uh, the minimum acreage, is required is 25 acres. And uh, we provide everything from uh, the seed, the fertilizer, and uh, we also uh, provide the training uh, for the farmers to grow hemp. And so there's zero out of pocket uh, from the farmers.
0: Okay. And then they obviously cultivate it and t- or take care of it throughout the year, right? And then you'll come and harvest it. Are you, And then when you're harvesting, are you harvesting wet harvest? Are you, how are you decorticating? How is it being, is it being baled or processed in field from there?
1: Yes, uh, so the farmers uh, would bale it and then we would come and pick up the bales. Okay, so they would actually have to have the equipment.
0: What type of equipment's needed to harvest hemp? The type, I mean, and how big is yours growing typically? And what areas are you
1: targeting? Yes, um, most farmers who, um, especially farmers who have, are familiar with growing wheat, have all the equipment that's necessary uh, to harvest hemp. And um, many of the farmers like we've been working with a lot of out of Montana, for example, you know, they have massive amount, massive amount of acres. Um, they have typically all the equipment that's necessary. Um, and if they don't, um, we have the uh, working with the co-ops, Um, And their operators, uh, we'll make sure that they have the machinery that's necessary.
0: Okay. Interesting. All right. And then you pick it up, it's bailed or shipped to you, I assume, and then you're harvesting it?
1: Yep. Our logistics partners come and pick it up, and we take it and harvest it, corticate it, um, and process it into our end products. So the fuel, the bioplastics, and into the textiles.
0: Um, AC has a great question. What type of testing has your seed been through? And what does that look like? What type of testing is usually done?
1: Yeah, so we're working with a company uh, called HPS uh, out of Canada. And so they are our um, partners and cultivar partners. And so uh, we're working with them. And um, in terms of testing, depending on where you're growing hemp, uh, you will have to uh, reference that state. So usually the county uh would have that information for you.
0: But what kind of testing has your seed been through? Do you know?
1: Uh, when you ask, I guess, what type of testing are you? There's all types of tests. So. Okay. Any, um, yeah, AC, I
0: don't know if you know, but what do you, I, I guess for you, what type of testing is typically done on seeds that you're aware of?
1: Yeah. So typically for us, um, because we are looking for mostly yield, and then also um, we make sure that all of our seed and cultivar is organic as well. Um, so we make sure that um, make sure that in terms of uh, with pH levels, um, that with harvesting, uh, we control also and measure temperature. So uh, one of the great things is that, you know, since THC has been a huge issue um, in harvesting, we try to make sure that humidity is as low as possible. Um, but we do leave our most of the seed side of things to our partners, HBS.
0: Gotcha. Okay. Well, I'd be interested. I'd love to talk more about this. I think that the seeds piece is something that comes up more and more for me uh, especially when it comes to certified seeds um, and and it goes back to like the certified organic you know what do those certifications mean or what type of testing has been done uh, what areas have it has it grown well in um, yeah I'm just I'm curious it's something that comes up a lot in the US and I find just like in the textile industry uh, there are other areas of our globe that are much more advanced in understanding genetics and seeds and cultivation.
1: Um, Have you thrown a hot crop? Have you thrown a hot crop? I'm not familiar with the thrown terminology. I don't know, maybe
0: thrown, have you grown one? Have you had a hot crop? Have you had a crop crop
1: go hot yet? Yeah, from our farmers that we've spoken with, um, especially the ones out of Montana, they haven't had any issues. Um, really? Yeah. That's great. Now we have he- heard of some farmers that we haven't worked with directly, but we have had some farmers, um, more so in the Texas, Louisiana er- areas, that have had some issues that were quote unquote considered hot uh, because of humidity. Um, we've heard of some farmers in Hawaii who've had those issues, um, but again, you know, it also depends on what type of seed growing uh, because you know a lot of farmers they're trying to grow for cbd and we're sticking strictly to fiber so uh, don't have too many of those issues on the fiber side how
0: many acres were grown in montana
1: um the farmers out there they've grown they've actually been growing for a couple of years um i think they've grown anywhere from easily fifty thousand acres that they've grown themselves Um, and so a lot of them have approached us about Just buying their hemp fiber, this bill. So, but Montana, I would say, out of all the states, are probably the most advanced um, when it comes to growing hemp. So,
0: they have so much of it, and it's yeah, they're doing so good. This is that's kind of the group and vertical I work on or work with the most is right along I 15 and I 80. Oh,
1: yeah, nice. (laughs) Freeways, right? But,
0: um, but I say Texas
1: is right behind them though. Uh, Oh yeah. Yeah, so.
0: Well, Texas, both Texas Tech and, you know, USM, University, Utah, wow, Montana State University are, have great programs for ingenuitive textiles. And so, yeah, it's very cool. Well, I really appreciate your time today. Thank you very, very much. Is there anything that we can do to support you and help you and your organization?
1: Yeah, sure. Um, we actually just had a webinar yesterday, uh, we're going to start doing webinars more often in which we talk about our renewable energy products and virtual power purchase agreements, our 24-7 uh, renewable energy framework. So, um, yeah, if you can um, share that information and uh, we'll continue to follow you, you know, you have some great information and um, we like you to get some excellent uh, network contacts. So, yeah. We are looking to work with everyone. Um, you know, our goal is to make sure that hemp is uh, taught around the world, that we integrate it in our infrastructure, and that, you know, our highest priority is our hemp farmers. So,
0: for sure. Yes,
1: absolutely. We can't,
0: we can't forget it, right? Back to our rural areas. So tell me real quick, when we talk biofuels, how close are we to producing on bulk scale for the, the United States or for the globe?
1: Yes, we look. Uh, we should be supplying commercially uh, in September of this year. Incredible.
0: Well, I would love to dive into that more. Um, I think that's where we need to be paying attention and our proteins, you know, our yep. food supply. And so that's, like you said, where our governments are putting putting the money behind. They recognize the need for the public-private partnerships, and uh, universities are really coming on to to research. So I'm excited to have this relationship. Thank you very much, Steven. I'd love to have you join us for our um, meeting. We have a meeting next week. That's a monthly meeting. It's on Wednesday, Tuesday or Wednesday. I'll add the link in here to register, but I'd love to have you sign up. I'll send you um, some info. It's just a quick networking group. We get between 40 and 50 people and then we break off into small little groups, but this gives you an opportunity to meet other leaders in the industry doing the cool things. Okay, great. Yeah. Cool. Other than that, thank you very much, you guys, for joining. We'll talk soon.
1: Thank you. Okay.
0: See ya.